1: From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous
0: stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage
1: to share these journeys, and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness, and empower you to feel your absolute best.
0: And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our Courageous Wellness. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Courageous Wellness. We're so excited this week for a great conversation that we are bringing you. But before we get into that, uh, we're going to do our weekly updates and chat a little bit about how our week's going and or what we're enjoying in wellness. Um, I'm having a great week, Allie. Actually, I went to um a trivia night with my brother and my husband and my brother's partner and some of his friends, and it was so fun. I don't think I've had that much fun <laughs> since before the pandemic. I forgot what a real joy and treat it is to um like get dressed up, go out, go oh, somewhere, yeah, have fun. Um, and we won, we won trivia by one point. It was so everyone in our group had like different skills. My brother's girlfriend is a nurse, so she's so smart, but it was like the science, the anatomy. Um, I'm really good in pop culture. Yes. And wellness, of course. And my brother was actually really good at riddles and my husband just knows everything there is to know about movies. So we won by one point and it amazing. We're fun. And yeah, it just felt really good to go out. Like it just felt so good to go out. And I know probably for many of our listeners, um, your state may have been open or maybe your country has been open, but here in LA, we just really opened on June 15th. And so it was just so fun. So I'm kind of riding that high, but I will say I cannot hang. I was out until midnight Not even, I got home at 1130 and I was asleep by midnight and I swear it's taken me days to recover. (laughs) Just not even, I had like a beer. It has taken me days to recover from just going to sleep late because I'm incapable of sleeping in. So I'm like up at 630, no matter how late I go to sleep, but, um, yeah, had a lot of fun your week going Allie. Uh, yeah, good. Actually, some similar stuff.
1: Um, not trivia, but definitely experiencing more of the like social stuff again. And I'm the same way. I'm, you know, one sort of like evening out and I was exhausted, but um, it was really fun. And and I forgot kind of what we get in that sort of community um, connection in person. Just nothing can replace that. I've also gone back because it just reopened, to um, do some hot yoga in person. And these are my first like classes uh, with other people (laughs) at all, really, um, in over a year and a half. And that has felt lovely. Um, It was definitely hard. It was definitely a challenge. But I, you know, I haven't had that kind of sweat and experience in that long. So it was really good for my mind, my body, and it was just really nice to be with other people again in that um in that setting. And yeah, and I also had a fun night out with my partner um for a work thing for him and that was just really fun. Ran into some old friends and, you know, just like the joys of sort of that kind of level of social interaction happening again. Um but I do find myself similarly to you being tired from it in a way that I probably wouldn't have been before you know, before the pandemic. Um, so it's just going to be like a gradual thing. I definitely don't feel like the rush to load up the social calendar or anything like that, but, um, it's really like sweet to have that kind of back.
0: Yeah. And I was going to say when this episode airs, which is so exciting, we are going to have seen each other. We are seeing each other tomorrow at the time of recording for, Gosh, the first time in like a year, I think you came over to my apartment outside the door in the middle of the pandemic or maybe like a few months in to drop something off and we haven't seen each other in person since so very exciting for us by the time this is out we will have um, seen Seen each each other. other.
1: And, and we also them. just quick—we both um, live kind of further away from each other than we used to. So we did go completely virtual this past year and a half, which has been super convenient. But at the same time, it'll be really nice to really see excited. each other in person.
0: Yes, and so, we're really excited for this episode. Yes, and can't wait for you to hear it. So, do you want to get into the yeah? Let's intro. intro. Yeah. So we're so excited for this episode where we are welcoming Kino McGregor. Kino is a Miami native and is the founder of OMSTARS, the world's first yoga TV network. She is a sought after yoga expert, an international yoga teacher, inspirational speaker, author of four books, producer of six Ashtanga yoga DVDs, a writer, vlogger, world traveler, and co-founder of Miami Life Center.
1: On this episode, we dive into a range of topics, first learning of Kino's personal journey and how it brought her to the practice of yoga. She also shares about her experiences with Vipassana silent retreats and how she uses her practice to further her connection to herself. We also dive into a conversation on representation within the American yoga community and also discuss ageism and wellness. We really appreciated the conversation with Kino. We learned a lot from her and we hope you enjoy the episode.
0: We are so excited to offer our listeners a new discount to one of the best probiotic supplements on the market, Seed. Whether you are a Patreon member in our nutrition community or a regular listener of the podcast, you know that Ali and I are both very serious when it comes to the importance of gut health and building a thriving microbiome. I personally have been using Seed for months and have noticed a big difference in my digestion and bloating. I am now devoted to taking seed every morning before food, and I'm really excited to share their daily symbiotic with our audience. The formulation of the daily symbiotic combines a probiotic and prebiotic, is vegan and gluten free, and includes 24 clinically studied naturally occurring strains not found in yogurt or fermented foods and beverages, and lives up to the highest standards for human and planetary health.
1: Yes. In addition to being a really reliable probiotic and prebiotic supplement, Seed is committed to creating science-based education for all those that partner with them through accountable advertising at Seed University. This is where we are all committed to not spreading misinformation about health on the internet, which is pretty important. Also, I personally love their commitment to sustainability with a refill system and all recyclable or biodegradable packaging materials. Erica and I only advertise products that we use and feel are of benefit to us and by extension could be of value to our community. If you would like to order Seed Daily Symbiotics to incorporate into your own gut health routine, go to seed.com and use courageous 15 at checkout for 15% off or click on the link in our show notes or the link tree on Instagram.
0: This episode is brought to you by our health coaching subscription service on Patreon. The Courageous Wellness Collective has expanded on Patreon to bring our listeners and clients an all access accessible platform to educate, inform and create nutrition and lifestyle habits to meet your personal goals. For 8 dollars a month, patrons will receive weekly
1: video content on topics ranging from blood sugar stabilization, gut health, hormone balance, energy, sleep, skin health, how to shop the grocery store, pantry staples, and much more. Included, you'll also receive access to monthly virtual webinars, recipes, and special guest content too. With this subscription, you are guaranteed at least four pieces of fresh health coaching content each month.
0: To learn more and become a patron, visit www.patreon.com slash courageous wellness, or check out our show notes. We look forward to welcoming you to our coaching community so welcome kino thank you so much for being with us today we are very excited to have this conversation with you so to get things started can you share with us your personal journey into wellness and how you discovered yoga and your passion and mission in life Mm.
2: well for me the decision to really dive into yoga came from a desire to live a more peaceful life And I did my first yoga class when I was 19. It left this kind of indelible mark on my mind. And from that moment, I kind of dabbled in yoga. And it was then after a period where I kind of went through a period of depression that I you know it wasn't diagnosed at the time but looking back i can clearly see that it was a it was it was a period of depression and it's something that i now recognize as kind of you know a quality of my mind and my emotions and the habit pattern that i've that the that, that yoga and meditation have really helped me to heal at that time uh i was around 22 and had, and had been you know dabbling in yoga and living kind of a very unhealthy lifestyle And it was out of that that I woke up one morning and it was just really clear to me, you know, Kino, you need to change your life. You know, I just saw just two paths, one leading to more suffering and kind of cyclical patterns of pain and and darkness and just sort of no way out. Or I could make a decision and kind of get my life back on track. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to start. I'm going to I'm going to go back to yoga class. I'm going to stop doing this just on my own. And. It was really that decision of thinking to myself, I want to learn how to live a more peaceful life. I don't want to necessarily learn to, you know, be a successful business person or this or that. But I wanted my genuine desire was how do how do I be happy? how can I, how can I find peace in the here and now? And that's what I turned to the practice of yoga. And although I didn't know much about what style or discipline that I was actually practicing, I walked into an Ashtanga yoga class, which is a very traditional lineage based form of yoga, which has very, very close roots to our teachers in India. So that within one year of me walking into that first Ashtanga yoga class, I was on an airplane to practice in India with the then living master of the tradition. And I spent two months, there practicing with him and his grandson and with a community of really dedicated ashtanga yoga practitioners and i can look back now and see that that really changed my life because from that moment forward, all my whole direction shifted into how can I go deeper into the spiritual practice? I started a meditation practice, I changed my diet, I began questioning my behavior in terms of how I would consume, whether it was uh, food or products or any type of consumerism, what products I would you know, buy, what makeup I would wear or not wear, what clothes I would purchase, what type of yoga mat I was practicing on and it just started to bring up a radical shift and reprogramming of kind of the very foundation of of every aspect of my life. So I've been on that journey since um, it's been, something around, you know, more than 20 years. And I've been making trips to India to continue my practice and really steep in the tradition. I've been uh, just continuing to explore what the spiritual path really, really means. And that includes for me, meditation. I've also uh, do a style of meditation called Vipassana meditation. And this is also a a very traditional form of Buddhist meditation. And uh, my uh, grandfather's Japanese. So for me, it feels very connected into just sort of my family ancestry to be able to practice a Buddhist, a very traditional Buddhist meditation. And I've sat something like, I don't know, maybe eight uh, silent retreats over the last 20 years. And it's a really big part of my spiritual path. And for me, I feel that the, the whole practice of yoga has kind of opened up a depth inside of myself and a kind of settling in my own skin that I didn't even know was really possible. Uh, before I turn to this practice and for me it's this combination of you know yoga and the asanas to really ground the mind within the body to use asanas this journey of embodiment and awareness and then to apply the tools the more the more kind of subtle tool of meditation to dive into the subconscious mind and kind of really reprogram and understand what subconscious had patterns are in there. And it's through this work that I feel that I kind of found the answer to it is possible to live a, a peaceful life. It is possible to, you know, be happy in, in the here and now and to and to let that peace and happiness really be located within rather than located without. So rather than external striving, the the tools that i have had the great benefits received from these, you know, ancient practices which originate from India have really guided me into those, the answers to those questions that I was first asking all those all those years ago.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And, um, I know Erica and I, it's, it's funny, Erica and I actually met originally through our own Buddhist practice. Um, and we practice a form of Nichiren Buddhism, but similar, this idea of like diving within rather than seeking happiness outside of ourselves. And, um, so I always love exploring those, like that philosophical concept, and and also how in the practice of yoga. Um, and I, I'm by no means, you know, a regular practitioner. Although I've had periods of time in my life where it's really, really helped me so much, um, and how that also is incorporated in a physical practice too. I just have found that so fascinating, and what we can learn about ourselves, about our spiritual nature about our minds through through the body too um it's it's pretty incredible so i'm curious as you went on this path and you've been on it for many 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 years and it's expanded and you've created resources for and community for other people to have access to it as well um which we'll go into a little bit but did you ever find you know we i think as human beings always sort of uh can go through levels of growth, but there's always more growth to be had. And I'm curious is when you, as like, as a practitioner, and we'll go into the teaching part of it, but when you hit sort of like either mental obstacles or physical obstacles, was there ever a time that you felt like your practice suffered or how did you maintain a practice for more than 20 years now? What were some mm-hmm. of the, things you were able to do to cultivate that.
2: Super good question. So one of the first obstacles that I actually hit was teaching. So when I came back from India for the first time, everybody started asking me to teach. And I really wanted to say no, but I also really wanted to go back to India. And this time I had this big plan to stay for six months and I would just immerse myself. And that was the longest that the visa was allocated for. So that was my plan, just max out the visa. And I just wanted to do that continually. Um, The only thing that I could think of to you know actually earn money in a temporary fashion was, okay, well, I'll say yes to all of these people that are asking me to teach. And I moved back in with my parents and saved money. And I, instead of paying rent, I just saved every penny that I possibly could. And it was during that time that I just said yes to everything because I felt like two things that I was a new teacher and I didn't have the right to say no to any opportunity. And I did really want to save as much money as possible because I I had this goal of staying in India for six months, so there was a time when I just felt totally burned out. You know, I would get up in the morning and go teach a private class at 7 a.m. and then uh, go teach a public class at 10 a.m. and drive from here to there and then have an hour or two hours of practice between 12 and 2. When then I should eat something and go drive to another part of town to teach another class before I drove to another part of town to teach another class and teach a last class at the end of the day and then drive back home. And I just remember feeling so burned out. And it was during that time that I remembered my teacher's words. He said, that, the, that you don't need to do a complete practice to do yoga. So one of the things that I feel really prevents a lot of people from keeping a regular practice for a lifetime is that they have an all or nothing attitude. I'm either going to do the two hour sweat extravaganza where I go in and I, you know, give my whole heart and soul or it's not yoga. And it's like, no, you know, my teacher said, get on the mat, do what you can. If you have 20 minutes, embrace that 20 minutes and do it. If you, he he always told me the sun salutations by themselves constitute a complete practice. And this allowed me to get on the mat for a little bit of time, but keep the consistency of practice. And that was a big lesson for me, because I think up until that moment of facing burnout, I'd always held myself up to this really high standard of perfectionism of it has to be perfect. It has to be, you know, like this in order to honor the tradition, in order to be a good student. So that was kind of a really important lesson that I've carried with me for all these years. So there are some days when I, I feel I had the luxury of, you know, still practicing for 90 minutes or even two hours, wow, you know, and then there are some days when my practices, my yoga practice is half an hour or an hour, and I'm thankful for that, too. And so that's, I feel that's a really important lesson for people to really, uh, really accept. And the same thing goes for meditation. Um, You know, the style of meditation that I, uh, that I sit, they ask you to sit for an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening. And if I combine that with my yoga asana practice, then I feel I should take the renunciate vows because it's hard to do anything else all day. You know, I'm going to sit and then practice yoga, and then then you have just a little time to go and do some, you know, economically productive activity, and then you have to sit again, and then it's time for sleep. And then, well, you know, there's no time for anything else. So I've really, you know, there was a period in my life where I stopped meditating because I didn't have that much time. And it really precipitated a, 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 a like a return to a very dark mental space. And it was coming out of that that I remembered my teacher's words and and it was so intimidating for me because I felt like if I'm not going to honor the tradition fully, then I shouldn't do it. But then I remember my teacher's words and just do for five minutes. So I thought, okay, this applies to meditation also. I'm just going to start sitting again for five minutes a day. And that's actually how I started sitting, because, you know, what I find is there are many people who are intrigued with yoga, yoga asanas. You know at least the asana portion of it it, it looks interesting when we try to put my leg behind my head and try to stand on my head and we do a handstand that arm balance looks cool but the being people's entry into the world of yoga even though yoga is much more than just asanas is asana But when when those same people, you say to them, sit for one hour in silence, it's you know, you may as well be threatening them with bloody murder because they, you know, silence for an hour. What am I going to have my phone? You know, what am I what 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 am I going to do for that hour? Well, you're going to meditate and just sit there and observe, you know, the inner state. And they say, well, you don't know what my inner state is. I better try to put my leg behind my head. It's more interesting. So, so there's that intimidation factor. And I I started meditation with just five minutes a day. And then that grew into longer silent retreats. And when I went through that sort of, you know, very, very dark period, very challenging period, and I dropped my meditation practice just for a few months, but it, it created this whole inner spiral that really meditation led me out of, but I had to build it back up from the beginning so many people who lose their yoga practice for one thing or another have that same sort of kind of guilt shame and apprehension about getting back on the mat so that then it begins to be this thing that they're ashamed of but it doesn't have to be you can literally come back and just stand on your mat get on your meditation cushion for five minutes and that'll bring that'll open that door back up and then things will just start to flow from there you know I think that's really, really important because people see me from the outside and they just assume that I'm doing yoga all day or that I live on a lotus flower, but I have, you know, struggles as well, you know, uh, whether it's asana or whether it's meditation, I have all the same thoughts that every average human being has, including, you know, lack of motivation and boredom, you know, anger and irritation and sadness comes back up. And then as every human being has the capacity to feel immense joy, immense happiness, deep peace, connection with others affinity with the universe and all of these sorts of things are not are not you know unique to any one person but are just part of the human condition
0: yeah absolutely thank you for sharing that I feel like that's so helpful I'm definitely a person who's really hard on myself so but it's it's a lesson I think as you get older and just unlearning right like there's nothing wrong with you know we also Ali and I have a daily Buddhist practice as she mentioned earlier and um similar to how you're speaking like my sweet spot that i love to do and try to do is about 45 minutes in the morning um but that's not that doesn't always happen right and that doesn't mean that that 5 minutes can't just be as great and powerful as 45 cuz i've done i think we've all done like i've done a 45 minute practice where my mind is wandering the entire time and i've done five really focused great minutes so i just really like that but i am somebody i really can relate as somebody who is very hard on themselves. But I think that's like a great unlearn as a human being. I do want to get into your incredible platform with home stars as well and how this was developed. And I know you have so much on there with cooking and workshops and yoga. And it just is so it seems so magical. But before we jump into that, you mentioned something that I'm so interested in, which are silent retreats. You said you've been to a few. Can we just talk about what that is like what that experience is and like how that helps you. I can't imagine. It's something that's always really intrigued me. So that's why my little spidey senses mm-hmm. went up when you said it, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit about silent retreats and what yeah. you from it and how it was.
2: So the the first silent retreat I did was almost 20 years ago and I I've done recently I did like four more in the last uh, couple of years and um so silence from the the perspective of sadhana or spiritual practice Comes from the notion of withdrawing the senses and refraining from any sensory input anything that could potentially be distracting and anything that could stimulate the mind so when we enter the buddhist perspective of the silent meditation retreat we take a vow of what's called noble silence so we go in and we enter and we agree to not only not communicate with one another so no chit chat uh, but no verbal or no non-verbal communication either no little winks no little like you know, hand gestures that would communicate to one another. And here's the thing that that most people really uh, react to in relation to that vow of noble silence. So the vow of noble silence in the retreat format is also no reading, no writing. And this is big because people think, okay, I could be silent, so I'll journal all day. You know, I'll get, I'll write down all my thoughts, and I'll, I'll journal, or get it out, or I can have a silent afternoon. Sure, give me a few books, and I'll just sit there, or you know, give me my phone, and then I instantly become silent. And you know, but the, 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 the silent meditation retreats are to detach all sense of identity, so that one, the practitioner, the sadaka, right, the spiritual aspirant, for that period of time, can live as though they are a renunciate so as though we take it's a vow of renunciation for the period of the retreat and this allows what's called householders which is you and me and you know, probably almost everyone that's listening—people that have jobs and you know have bills to pay—and whether rent or mortgage or whatnot—we're all householders. So we're not renunciates. But that time in retreat, when we take that vow of noble silence, in addition to a few other vows that they ask you to take when you enter the silent retreat, you get the opportunity to do the type of deep introspective practice that can only come from from the renunciates' path. So you're not—you don't get any phone calls while you're there. Obviously, you also do some weird things like check your passport or your keys in at the front desk, because what happens on everyone's silent meditation retreat, whether it's day one, day two, day three, or any other day, is you want out, and everyone I talk to starts making escape plans, you know, of maybe I'll just uh, say I feel really bad and then I'll leave the retreat. And uh, maybe I'll just sneak into the office and grab my car keys and get in my car and drive away. So, we, we, you know, people make these plans of escape because it's very confrontational when it's just you and your thoughts. You sit there, there's no good morning. You know, there's other people in the retreat, but there's no good morning. How'd you sleep? Oh, did you sleep? Well, yeah, I slept pretty well. Oh, how was that sit? Oh, this, it was good for me. All of that energy that goes into chit chat, it's gone. So then it's just you. And you're asked to avert your eyes as well, while you're on the retreat, to avoid disturbing someone else's cone of noble silence, because the human mind can so easily compare. You know, if we look over, we make an eye contact, then we wonder, well, what, what's happening with with that student? And you know, how are they doing? They're probably having a deeper meditation than I am. And then we start to compare, and we think everybody's attaining Buddhahood around us, except for poor us, who's going bonkers in our own mind. And so the the whole cone of noble silence really helps you realize. It's not the outside world that is the source of my misery. I myself am the source of my misery. Now I got no one to blame. No one's talking to me. No one's saying anything to me. I- I'm reacting to myself. Here I am in my room. No one's talking to me, and I'm still angry, and I'm still sad, and I'm still anxious, and all this stuff is still coming up. So how am I going to deal with it? What am I going to do to process that? And I can't write it all down and do a big catharsis. I have to sit with it and breathe and feel what's coming up. And then the same thing goes on with you know the intense highs, and you know eventually that that sort of cone of silence begins to be almost like a temple of silence. And it's this kind of space that you enter into that is so deep once you get underneath the frequency of thoughts. And there have been some times in these silent retreats where I've, I really understand why, or, or the origination of that sound that what, what we call in yoga, the holy vibration of Om, because in the silence, there have been a few times where I've heard that sound where it's this literal sound of silence. It sounds like the heartbeat of the universe, which is always humming underneath there, but which we never hear just because there's so much going on, so much busyness, the talking here, the talking there, the music playing from the neighbors, the you know, sound of a message coming in, the hum of the air conditioner, the chit-chat among family members, the sound of this or that. you know We pick up the phone to call a friend to distract ourselves because we don't want to be alone. Well, what happens when we are alone? Well, there's something magical if we can sit through our discomfort. But it's a it's 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 a lot, you know. It's a lot. It's a really really a lot. And and um, you know, there's this lofty idea that people hear, oh, you're going on a meditation retreat. You know, they think I'm going to Club Med or something like that. You know, they think, oh, you're going to go and it's going to be, you know, foot massages and you know, um, someone's going to hold a fan over you and and it's going to be sort of like this this happy resort space. And I'm like, no 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 no, this is a, there's no rest. In in these silent retreats, they wake up very, very early and immediately you start sitting. And then there's you you have very short breaks, and then immediately you sit and you just sit sit and sit and sit and sit. And then you break for food and for bathroom and for short rest and sleeping. And that's it's like a it's almost like a meditation boot camp because there's they really want you to be just so immersed in that space that powerful transformation can happen. The way I think about and the way I've experienced these meditation retreats is that in that cone of silence, the personal growth work and the, the sort of access point to spiritual evolution is accelerated. So I feel like one day in the silent meditation retreat gives me one year of life learning because it's just so intense. I've done a few sits where I felt like in that one hour, I went through like a month of my life. And that sort of, you know, is there in that deep process work. So, so anybody is interested in a silent retreat, if you can take the time, off of uh, uh, you know off of your life if your family and job and life situation can support you with that, then I really recommend to, you know, to 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 do that. And speaking of, you know, OMSARS, which is my online channel, I we support every one of our staff who wants to do a, you know, these 10-day silent retreats. And uh we support them by of course maintaining their salary and also by contributing to the donation that's made uh to contribute to the the you know the exchange that makes the course Uh,
1: possible. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. I've had a friend who's done one before and definitely sounds like it's um, transformative as you've shared with us for sure.
0: We want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about today's sponsor, Milk and Honey. I have been using Milk and Honey's baking soda-free deodorant exclusively for over two years. This gentle aluminum-free baking soda-free deodorant was designed to nourish sensitive skin while keeping you feeling and smelling fresh all day long. When I decided that I wanted to make the switch to clean aluminum-free deodorant, I tried so many different brands, and each and every time I was plagued with red itchy bumps under my arms on top of not feeling confident that I did not smell. Milk and Honey not only once never gave me those pesky red bumps from their deodorant, but it also passed the smell test, even after an intense spin or hit class. It truly is the best and comes in two scents, lavender tea tree, and lemon vanilla.
1: Milk and Honey is a line of non-toxic, effective, and safe bath, body, and skincare products made in small batches in Austin, Texas. They source ingredients as hyper-clean as possible, which means both choosing organic and making thoughtful, informed choices on safe ingredients. Milk and Honey is a female-founded and funded brand, and in addition to clean deodorant, they also carry non-toxic bath, body, and skincare products like hydration creams, cleansers, soaps, body polish, and lots more that will make you feel nourished inside and out. Their online boutique also offers clean beauty products from top brands, including Osea Malibu, Virtue, Moon Juice, Kula Sun Care, and more. If you want to try Milk and Honey, you can receive 15% off your order by visiting milkandhoney.com and using the code CWPODCAST, one word, at checkout. You can also find the direct link in our show notes. As you mentioned OMSTARS, I'd love to get a little bit more into that. How, I guess, how and why did this come about? What, why did you want to create this platform? And then share with our listeners a little bit about what it is and, and what you provide.
2: Hmm. Well,
1: so as a
2: yoga teacher, I kind of got sought out to make videos for other people. I remember the first uh, interface that I had with kind of making videos and short tutorials was eHow contacted me out of the blue and said, we've identified you as a yoga expert. Would you like to make a video for us? And I was like, okay, sure. What's that? And then they sent this list of topics of things that I just couldn't even imagine that people wanted to watch videos on, you know, but I thought, okay, let me choose the ones that I see are in alignment with kind of who I am and. We'll go we'll go on that road and then I you know started making yoga videos on my own and was contacted by other um, what you what we call like online platforms for yoga Uh, after some time making videos for other people, one of the things that really, really struck me was that. I'm in a unique position in that I have these deep roots within traditional lineage-based practices within India. And the thing that matters most for me is maintaining the integrity and the heart of the spiritual journey of what yoga, meditation, the spiritual path are really about. When I when I started to go in deeply with some of the other um, you know, some of the platforms that I was working with, it seemed to me that. What they were presenting to me was that the kind of their bottom line was profitability. So I was kind of reaching these these points of conflict of why don't you make your content more like this? Like, and I just said that's not like that's not true to who I am. I can't do that. So I really wanted to create a space in the online world where the tools of traditional practice, all spiritual practice, could be made available to spiritual seekers and interested yoga practitioners all over the world, so that so that there could be kind of like a trusted source where you know that the information you're getting isn't just because someone is you know trendy on social media. It's because they're a real expert in their field, and there are tools to go deeper. So Omstars is the is sort of the the dream that I had to build a true Netflix for yogis by yogis, and to really showcase everything that it means to be on the spiritual path. So that's why on OMSARS, we have yoga classes, uh, we have over 4,000 videos that you can stream on demand, as well as uh, daily live classes, sometimes three or four classes a day live, where you can come on and join a community of practitioners and get some real interaction time with with the teachers who are there, as well as meditation classes, vegan cooking classes, Sanskrit classes, you can learn about the language of yoga, chanting classes, philosophy classes, spanning everything from the Gita to the Bhagavad Gita to Ayurveda to, you know, traditional yoga sutra discussion, as well as more contemporary applications of spirituality, like life coaching and applying uh, yogic ethics to business and all sorts of things that really bring the message of yoga and the spiritual path into your everyday life and So this is this is just a tool that I feel so happy to provide for so many people all over the world. We have a flourishing international community of people that, that come together that wouldn't otherwise have access to these kind of expert level, really, really authentic, excellent teachers. And I feel so, so grateful to be, you know, be the founder of Ohm Stars. And when we think about Ohm Stars, like Ohm is this, again, as I mentioned before, the holy vibration, it's this universal sound, Sacred symbol that unites all, and the idea of stars is that the idea of that when you practice true spiritual practice, that light that is within you, um, you know, first ignited by the what's called in Sanskrit the tapas or the fire of purification starts to burn and burn and burn and burn, and then ultimately it reveals the the sort of glow. And it's uh, there's this kind of myth that says that the you know, that after many many years of practice, the yogi's body glows with an inner light. So it's this promise of saying, you know, do the practice and keep practicing, keep practicing. And then that that inner that inner being, which is a star which is within you, will will start to shine its light into the world. We'll, we'll, we'll get through all of the occlusions so that the light can shine more, more freely and true.
0: It's I love the platform is so, as you said, it really does feel like the Netflix of yoga. Like <laughs> there's so much on the platform. And, um, yeah, like even myself, Ali is the cook. I'm the baker of the two of us. Um, but like when I saw that there are like cooking classes that are aligned with, um, this lifestyle, I was like, wow, like that's so neat. Like I haven't seen that on another platform and, um, you have so many different teachers and something Ali and I both noticed and really appreciated is the body diversity, the racial diversity. It's just, it seems like a very inclusive experience and not all yoga is inclusive you know I feel like sometimes that's the barrier to entry for a lot of people is either they don't see um, their skin color their body type or x y and z Um, and so not only being online is it accessible but you've made it just this very inclusive environment that Ali and I really certainly appreciate and look for in any platform that we wanna be a part of. So that's just really cool and something. Was that always a part of your mission as well?
2: Absolutely. So when we say taking the tools of traditional practice to everyone, we want to decrease that barrier of entry. So when when we first started OwnStars, we said, well, what are the barriers of entry? Well, right from the beginning, if there's no one that looks like you that's practicing yoga, you can never identify with actually doing yoga. So I felt that myself, you know, just my own body size and shape. When I first started practicing, there was no one who looked like me that was practicing. So right from the beginning, one of our core values is, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion and how we can really lift up voices that are often marginalized from the mainstream wellness community and to really pivot away from uh, just prioritizing or, you know, uh, forefronting your profitability and really thinking, I mean, of course, we're a business, we want to be profitable, but really thinking that everything has to be ethical first and foremost, and everything has to line up with our with our ethics, both in terms of what yoga represents. So if we take a look at yoga, again, where does yoga come from? Yoga comes from India. Look at traditional yoga practitioners within India. And what we have to say is India is a country of people of color. So when we in the yoga space, particularly in you know, uh, you know, Eurocentric imagery is presented. As kind of the norm of yoga. This is not only off-putting to people that don't fit that norm, but it is uh it is it almost goes against, I don't want to use the word betrayal because I feel like it's a little too harsh, but it, it kind of goes against yoga's roots. Whereas if you go to see yoga practitioners within India, you see all different sizes, shapes, and ages, and you know, different people doing different things. And when I remember, you know, my my teacher in India teaching all different types of people. From all different walks of life, and 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 making the practice accessible to different students, there were uh, people that would come in. I remember once there were people come in that were that had amputated limbs, and the practice would be made uh, accessible to them. There were you know different different people from different walks of life from within the local community that would come and practice. And I think that's just that's always been a really important value of ours to really understand that if we're going to make yoga, if we're going to take these traditional tools, yoga meditation vegan cooking, the philosophy of yoga, and present it, it has to be both authentic and true, honoring the roots of where these practices come from. And then the, and then, it needs to be truly diverse and inclusive so that everyone feels like they're welcome to unroll their mat and start to practice.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I that is something that really stood out to me and Erica, because it's even though, you know, we're a white woman and white women in the wellness world in Los Angeles. But even when we started our platform, it became so glaringly obvious about three years ago, we started it, but to us, like immediately diving into just sort of the wellness world in general, how, um, yes, how, I guess like whitewashed it is in a lot of ways, how, um, inaccessible it is for a lot of people. And that's not something we wanted to perpetuate. And um, so we we were really like excited to like learn about what you do and then also see this community. And especially as you were saying with with yogic roots, like where it actually comes from and, um, and also age diversity. I know Erica mm-hmm. mentioned a few different types of, but that's something also, it's like, you don't just have to be 25 and fit not, that is not a precursor for having a physical wellness practice, a spiritual wellness practice, and, you know, an emotional wellness practice, whatever that might be. And it's like, I know that as I continue to age, I want to grow deeper into that and to have people with the wisdom and like experience of practice in this way, that's who we learn from. Mm -hmm. And, um, I often find maybe you were talking about when you were starting to go to these other get get asked to go to these other platforms before you created Omstars and um, you know do videos that needed to focus on you know bottom line profitability and there's definitely sometimes like marketing that gets prioritized um, so it was it's also really great to see. I think age diversity, and we don't
2: talk. Absolutely,
1: we don't talk a lot about that. Like I'm even thinking about this now. Like we've actually never done an episode on that, and I would love. Thank you for the inspiration because I never to do <laughs> an episode on that. Um, It's a real
2: thing though. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a real, it's a real thing. I was just speaking to uh, kind of a a, a, a local teacher here in Miami who's been teaching for a long time and, you know, he's getting older and uh, the studio where he's teaching at right now, he said, you know, I feel I don't feel connected to the studio where I'm teaching at anymore because the new owners, they just want young, hot bodies in their teaching and they just want to pack the room with, you know, young, hot bodies. And he felt like and then they're asking me to do things and class that i don't think are safe anymore and so we were talking about that yoga teaching you get better as you age so you're a better teacher and if your yoga works right you're a better teacher in your 60s 70s 80s i mean i met my teacher when he was 80 years old for yeah. so you know he'd been teaching at that time i was so humbled when i met him because he'd been teaching teaching yoga for like three times my age when I met him. And, you know, he wasn't demonstrating the postures. He was an elderly man, but he looked amazing for his age, of course. And he would just tell you, do this, do that. And it was something about walking into the room with his presence. Now that's hard to, you know, from the marketing perspective, if your SEO driven marketing, you know, executive is saying, well, I can't really market this elderly person because they don't look cool in a handstand. What am I going to show? Well, it's like yoga is internal and there's there's this sacred bond that happens between this, 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 the, the teacher and the student. So there's this magic that happens. And I completely agree with you that there needs to be a a, a conversation about ageism, about how we can truly represent age diversity and, and really start to value uh the sort of the, the, the cultivation of knowledge and wisdom that accumulates with experience. And what's interesting is I find sometimes in um the, the meditation world the, the there there are some teachers that are older that seem to get more respected but because there's so much emphasis of, on with or or equivalence of yoga with asana that this is a problem we run into in the yoga world where just because someone can put their legs behind their head then suddenly people think oh wow they're an awesome yogi and it's like no they were born with that flexibility and maybe they'll do that when they're 80 years old but maybe they won't and if, but if they keep practicing they'll be a better human being when they're 80 years old and that's what we need to the <laughs> So it's, I think it's important that we have the conversation in the wellness community and particularly um, when we we sit at the intersection of ageism and sexism, that's a very interesting conversation to have because it's more likely that a man getting older, you know, a cisgender man getting older is going to be valued for their age old wisdom. And that, you know, a woman, uh, you know, a a woman of any like well but as she gets older will be subjected to b- both sexism and ageism and called all sorts of things i know that as i've gotten older uh, and i've been practicing people have written me off as you know just another 40 year old woman and i'm like 40 you're like well, what that 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 i'm that expired or something because like if mm-hmm. a 40 is the expiration date you know like what is the rest of the life like you know so then like we have to value um uh, people, human beings, as they age, and particularly women, you know, and and I think that deconstructing and dismantling the power hierarchies between what defines a woman's worth, particularly within the yoga world and the spiritual world, is at the heart of locating and reclaiming our sense of value, so that so that we can really see, oh, my value as a woman is not tied to my youth my value as a woman is my, my value as a human being, which is, you know, which we can include the elements of gender, but we also want to include kind of transcendent elements of wisdom, of, you know, of of, of sort of spiritual space, which were these, these lofty ideals that were kind of, for, for generations, particularly in the, you know, European culture and Western culture were kind of uh, blocked off for women. You know, this, this realm of the true spiritual seeker was just not available for, you know, for the female gender
1: absolutely yeah thanks for speaking to that I, I agree i think we should have more of these conversations and that's why we have our podcast to do to do just that so that's awesome um and i wanted to touch on a little bit you also have a a center correct in yes. so if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about that with us if anyone's local to that area and wants to um experience taking class are, are you guys open are you um are you back in back in action and, and what I know it's um more of a traditional ashtanga as well what what is that experience like even if someone's a beginner and wants to
0: come start. Mm-hmm.
2: so my husband and I we founded uh co-founded the center called Miami Life Center and our first uh space was here on Miami Beach which is where we live and a little like a year and a half ago we uh we we now have a new building that we've been constructing which is in Wynwood another area of Miami just across the bridge on the mainland as we call it here in Miami off of the beach onto the mainland, um, the continent, you know, we've rejoined continental America. If you come to Miami Beach, you'll see what I mean. The Miami Beach is kind of its own twilight zone for better or worse. You know,
0: yeah. you know. I have family in South Florida. So I've spent a little bit of time in Miami. We always go yeah. there. Down there. And so I'm like, oh, I know what you mean a little bit. <laughs> yeah,
2: absolutely. I'll have to come take a class sometime. So, so we, yeah, we, we're building the space. And in the new space, what's really cool is that we will have both Ohm Stars on my online channel and Miami Life Center under one big roof. We have some offices in the new space and we've got some, you know, uh, beautiful studios that we just built out. And that's where you can practice uh, daily classes via Miami Life Center, online classes via Ohm Stars. We may have a time in the future where you can volunteer to be a student in an OMSARS live class as well. So we're still working that out. We need to get fully open first. You know, Florida right now, we're fully open. And, you know, the only rules are those which we uh, decide to do for ourselves, because that's the atmosphere of um, the political situation here in Florida, for better or worse, you know. So we have some rules in place and we have students coming in. If you're a new student, uh, what we do is we have you're welcome to come into any traditional Ashtanga class, but the classes are taught in what's called the Mysore style method. which means that you come in and you're going to build a very personal relationship with the teacher. The teacher is going to check out where you are and start to teach you from the ground up. You need no prior experience in yoga, and you'll also get to be in a room with very advanced practitioners. So that's very, very cool. And then the practice can be uniquely modified for your body. We also have intro classes. And so the intro classes, if you're intimidated by walking into a room where you might see someone with both legs behind their head, then the intro class is a better place to start. And this is also taught by the same teachers that we have teaching the the traditional Mysore style classes so that people can come in and get the introduction and then also jump into uh, the, the more traditional practice. My husband and I teach immersions and special events. So you'll see us doing, you know, like a one, sometimes we'll do a once off intro to yoga class, or we'll do a once off a workshop on this or that. But then we also do like one week immersions and one month immersion so that people can come and practice with us and kind of dive deeply into the practice. And then we get a collection of people, local students and uh, students from, um, you know, out of state and sometimes out of country as well that come in and join for, for the practice. We haven't had that in a while, but we're getting a, a good number of out. Ad- state visitors right now like I think the whole state of Florida is
0: no I think that's great though and I think you know as life continues to get closer to normal I think um I just think that's great I feel like we've all learned so much in this last year Allie and I keep having these conversations about um what we just want our lives to look like right like the slowness that we want to keep in the gentleness the intention behind everything we do um but also getting back out into the world, right? Like that balance. So I think having that hybrid of having the opportunity for people, especially in the Miami area who can go in person and who want that. But um, again, I just think the accessibility with online has like changed the game, you know, before this year, I had never done at home workout in my entire life. And now it's like, I love it. Right. Like I really enjoy it. And, um, yeah, I just, so I think like having both is really cool. And I think definitely, um, just awesome that it's something that you provide. So yeah, it's exciting. And next time I visit my family, I'm definitely gonna (laughs) come hit you up and take a class. That would be so, so fun and so good for my husband. Uh, we do yoga together whenever we go to South Florida and, um, it's the only time he does it and it's so good. For <laughs> him. So I'm like like I got to get him into it more cuz um yeah it's just so good for our bodies but and it's it's so
2: for- nice to share also in a relationship, um, you know?
0: Yeah, I love I love when we do yoga together. It's my favorite. So, but thank you again for everything you shared with us today. And as we begin to wrap up, we always end with three questions. So I'm going to start with the first one. And the first is as this busy entrepreneur, I'm so curious, what are your self-care practices and your self-care non-negotiables? And I'm sure it includes yoga, but maybe if you can elaborate and share some other tools that really work for you and your toolkit.
2: So uh, my self-care non-negotiable is moments of silence every day. And I need complete silence and, and total aloneness every day. So that includes I love my husband immensely. He's the love of my life. And I need to be away from him every day for a little bit of time. And for me, this is usually combined with another another moment of self-care, which is I love to be outside and breathe fresh air. So even if it's just a walk around the block, I turn my phone off and I will go out for a walk around the block if I have now that we're online so often with back to back zoom meetings, if I have five minutes between a meeting, I will go without my phone stand outside and just stand and stare at a flower at the sky at the grass or lie down in the sun or something like that. And that's super, just re- really, really important for me. And that's not negotiable. You know, I don't wanna replace that five minutes with, let me go answer a quick email here and let me get on Instagram and see what's going on in my messages or something like that. I won't do that because otherwise I will start to feel really, really imbalanced. Um, drinking lots of water every day is also a self-care non-negotiable. I, um, I think it really helps keep my body very hydrated, very, very healthy. Um, and then the, 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 the sort of the last thing in terms of, um, you know, body self-care in addition to, you know, I, for me, I practice six days a week, you know, yoga, and I do my meditation practice every day in the morning and in the evening, but then about once a month, I I will seek some sort of um, like body care, whether it's acupuncture or whether it's energy work or whether it's a massage or something like that, just because, you know, it can be a psychic healing or, you know, just something where I am not in the role of giving where I'm in the role of receiver. And I, I try to make myself do that once a month because I feel that I'm in that role of giving, 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 whether at, whether it's um, teacher, So I'm online, I'm teaching, I'm doing a private, I'm giving a class, I'm recording a video where I'm teaching this. And then I'm also running my business where I'm the leader and I'm making a decision. People are asking me, should we do this or should we do that? This teacher contacted us and they want to teach on home starts. Are they a good fit? I'm like, I don't know. Let me take a look at them. And I got to look at them and figure out what they do and watch their videos and read their bio and like get into their universe. And then, you know, and then, and I hate when it's like, a, actually they could use a little more training you know and so then so then I go in there and I'm still like engaged in that way so then um and I love my team they're absolutely amazing wouldn't be able to have home starts without my team but that moment of now I simply receive and that's something really really important um and then I guess one other thing is that it's taken maybe in the last couple of years that it that I realized that I need to that my husband and I are together, that we need to uh, book vacations. And that's something that we just haven't like it's been the last couple of years that we've done that because we used to go to like India for six months. And then after you go to India for six months, then it's like what you it was that so difficult that you need to go sit on a beach now. I mean, it's like, you know, we kind of felt like that was our holiday. But as we started to realize, like, OK, that's also work, too. And so just for us, we started to prioritize uh, just kind of fun vacations together. We went to the mountains and did some hiking recently. And so we, we plan a little things like that.
1: That's fun, thank you. Um, Okay, the second question is, what does being courageous mean to you?
2: Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, I think that being courageous means going into difficulty and adversity and pain without giving into the natural proclivities of the mind towards aversion. It means in those very moments that you want to push away that you're going to lean in it means that when everything in you wants to go into denial and defense you're going to drop your defenses and be open-hearted i mean sharing vulnerability when all you want to do is close up and run away
0: what an amazing answer thank you for sharing that Um, The last question that we always ask is, do you have a book that's been particularly inspirational to you along your journey? It can be on any topic, um, just something that's been meaningful to you.
2: Oh, so many. I mean, that's a hard one. So I am an avid reader and I, I, you know, Buy books just at any moment because I think that's interesting. I'll read that. So I mean, there's so many books. I mean, gosh, I would. I feel like, wow, that's such a huge question. I was just talking about um, the work of comparative mythologist Joseph Campbell, who wrote The Power of Myth, and that was really influential in the kind of beginning of my spiritual journey. Pema Trodrin's books, all of her books. You know, when things fall apart, uh, it was the first one I read of hers. Was was wildly influential of uh, to my spiritual journey. Um, Jack. Korn a path with heart is a fantastic book i recommend even if you're not he's writing from the meditation perspective but anyone who's a spiritual practitioner i think uh really uh could do well to um you know to dive in and and uh and and, and read this book i think that's really really powerful um of course uh the classic yoga books you know like yoga sutras i think i wouldn't know as, as sort of who i am on the spiritual path without the sutras and um Yeah, these are the ones that are kind of popping into my mind right now. But I feel like I feel like I just read so much. So that uh, moment by moment, there, there there's there's there are just b- books that filter in that leave a little bit of information. And then I move on to the next one. I, I, I the, One of the ones that I've read recently that I feel has been really inspirational is uh, uh, Supernatural by Dr. Joe Dispenza. It's a really fun read and has a lot of good information about different brainwave states and how to kind of deconstruct your thinking about things. And he's just a really knowledgeable uh, speaker and scientist and doctor. So I think this is, this is probably a good, good list to, for people to start off with.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that's a great list. Um, and then, okay. So if anyone wants to find you, follow you, find your company, you know, do an online yoga class, where can they do that?
2: Well, you can find me at Kino Yoga everywhere on social media, Instagram, YouTube. We get a bunch of free classes on YouTube and even on IGTV. So if people just want uh, to engage with me there, if you want to come on to the OMSTARS platform, we have a 14-day free trial. So you can just come on and then you get immediate access to all the live classes. You can do a live class with me and you can come on to the live class. And, you know, I stay on after every live class and answer student questions. So you can even pop on and say you know, Hey, this is, you know, I joined because of the podcast and here I am, you know, we could chat.
1: Great. Thank you so much. We, uh, we just really appreciate you coming on today and having this conversation. It was a pleasure.
2: Pleasure for me too. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of courageous wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week